I will feast at the table of the Lord. I will feast at the table of the Lord. I won't hunger anymore. Welcome to the table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. We worship at Island Creek Elementary School, 7855 Morning View Lane, every Sunday at 10 a.m. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. Seven weeks. 
and for 62 weeks it shall be built again with streets and moat, but in a troubled time. After the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing, and the troops of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. He shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half of the week he shall make sacrifice and offerings cease, and in their place shall be an abomination that desolates until the decreed end is poured out upon the desolator. Our second reading today is from Revelation, the 21st chapter. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them, they will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I do not like the second half of Daniel. I don't like it. I, you, I think you think I do because I'm up here um, reading it or telling you to read it. And I know you think I'm trying to force you to like something that I like. Um, uh, that's what preachers do. It's my job to take previously unpalatable pieces of scripture <laughs> and give it meaning and help you learn something about God in it to make the pal unpalatable palatable, as, as palatable as possible. But um, if I'm honest, I don't like the second half of Daniel any more than you do. And I don't like the book of Revelation at all. I do not like its violence and its vindictiveness and its opaqueness and its psychotic visions. Um, I don't like its attitude towards women, which we haven't even talked about. It's enemy thinking, it's dualistic worldview of heaven and earth. I don't like its seeming vacancy of love most of the time throughout Revelation. Honestly, I don't even like people who like Revelation. So if you like <laughs> Revelation, um, I don't like you. <laughs> and it's because people, people who say they like the book of Revelation, so many of them use it to justify their ridiculous, unsubstantiated ideas about God, and, and they scare other people with it, with what they think they know, but they don't really know. Right this minute, somewhere, someone is turning Hurricane Sandy, or Katrina, or the shooting in El Paso, or Virginia Beach into some predictor of the apocalypse and using the book of Revelation and the second half of Daniel to do it. 
Honestly, I wish the second half of Daniel and the book of Revelation had been left out of the Bible altogether, as they almost were, actually. But since they weren't, I grant them this much. If you want a cinematic picture, a vibrant vision of God's end game, there is no better place to look to than the last few chapters of Daniel, the last like four that we're going to talk about, and the last two chapters of Revelation. If you want a beatific, um, beautiful, that's a better word, beatific would be the word, there you go, um, beatific vision of God's end game for creation, it, there is no better place to look than the last two chapters of Revelation with its golden streets and its pearly gates and it's the place Christians go when they're grieving. They get this, this picture of heaven where death will be no more, no more tears, no more crying, no more pain. The seven plagues will be over. I don't have to get into what the seven plagues are. All the trumpets have been blown at this point in time. Michael has defeated the dragon, whatever the dragon is. And Michael's defeated the beast, whatever the beast is. And all they, all they represent, Michael has defeated and has gone down to the dust, it says. And behold, there is rejoicing in heaven as the new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven prepared as a bride and it's like all the saints of God make their way to the marriage feast and these verses in Revelation are read at so many funerals so many funerals that some of us just expect to see a casket as we hear them they give us something majestic to cling to God's promised future when the reality in front of us is too much to bear why is it that these images of God's promised future, God's end game, tend to comfort us in times of grief, but make us generally uncomfortable and unsatisfied in day-to-day -day life? How, how come there seems to be some kind of inherent meaning and understanding in them when we're standing at a graveside? but they seem to have no bearing on who we are and how we discover who we are and how we live in the middle space and the rest of life. Perhaps it's because we've been trained to look to the past and not the future to discover who we are. What we do when we meet new people. When we meet someone new, what do we do? The ritual of meeting someone always includes establishing that person's origins, not pinpointing what their future might be, right? Where are you from is the question we ask. That's the leading question, the question that drives military families crazy. Where are you from? Where, where am I not from? <laughs> it's the question that's also possibly irritating to you or your parents if they were or you were immigrants. And in the Deep South can be quite a risky question if the answer is somewhere north of the Mason-Dixon. The first Sunday I preached in, uh, at Snow Camp United Methodist Church this, in the backwoods, North Carolina, this older man comes up to me in overalls and plants himself right in front of me in the receiving line as we're leaving church. And he says, and who would your people be? 
which I, I later came to understand from the pastor that it's shorthand for, why don't you get back into your foreign car and go back where you came? <laughs> I imagine that made things difficult for this Korean-American pastor. This guy is an exception, though. Most of the time, people want to know where you come from so they can establish a connection with you. You're from Norfolk? Don't they say Norfolk there? They would ask me. Isn't it true that if y'all ever had like a real emergency in your area, you're so waterlocked that everybody would just die? They ask me. You're from Virginia Beach? What's it like to be from the city of CBN? Do you know Pat Robertson? Nope. When we gather for membership brunch, or when we gather for common tables and we desire to get to know each other's stories, to understand each other as people of faith, we talk about our past, our beginning, not our end. We talk about how we were baptized Catholic and then baptized again in a Baptist church as a teenager and then confirmed later in the Episcopal church when we were just really confused and then how we eventually left the large non-denom down the street in order to find this eventual intimate, beautiful community. And, but we don't talk about God's future for us. We don't tell of God's end game for us when we do that. In a setting where we try to share who we are, we do it by telling who we were. We establish our identity by telling about our origins. However I do it, what I, what I am trying to do is tell you who I am by telling you who I was. I am establishing my identity by telling you about my origins. More theologically, Christians appeal to the story of creation or the story of the fall to explain why we are the way we are. Why do we keep listening for the voice of God and longing to be a part of a community like this? Because there was a time when we walked together in the garden at the time of the evening breeze at the beginning. Or why do we keep reaching for things we know aren't good for us? Because we still have a seed of that forbidden fruit caught in our teeth, right? For as long as there have been humans, there have been stories like these, stories of our beginnings, of our ancestors that help explain who we are and why we are here and why we are the way we are. In Revelation 21 today, John in John's vision of the New Jerusalem speaks of God as Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Perhaps it is right to call these stories of our beginnings and our ancestors and who we are and where we've come, perhaps these are our alpha stories, since they are the first ones many of us learned. They set our clocks ticking. They magnetized our compasses at such a deep level that they continue to function as our default settings all along. This makes perfect sense, I think, since they are the stories about things that have already happened to us. Whether they happened in our religious imaginations or in our real lives on earth, they are a part of our past, a part that cannot be changed now for good or ill, which gives the past a kind of solidity that the future does not have. 
whatever happens from here on out, I will never have different grandparents. I will never have been born in El Salvador. I can't change that. I will never have been raised on the freedom songs of the slaves. That's not my story. That's not my alpha story. My alpha stories are set in stone. But it wasn't until I reflected on how much I hate the second half of Daniel and how much I hate the book of Revelation, it wasn't until I got to work on this particular sermon that I realized how important our Omega stories are. Not our origin stories, but our destination stories. The ones that tell us who we are by telling us where we are going. These stories may not have the same solidity that we like, that the alpha stories do, at least not at first, because they have not yet happened. Which means that no one can tell us which one is right. All we can do is choose one from the wide variety of end time stories that we are being offered every day and then hope that we have chosen wisely since our Omega stories will have as much or more to do with the direction of our lives than our Alpha stories will. Today, both Daniel and John, they're both of their visions speak to this holy city, this new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Today, we will receive four new members into the life of our church. What if, what if for Robin and Jason and Michael and Amanda and for all of us, this new Jerusalem is a destination to grow up in and into faith? What if the new Jerusalem is meant to replace some kind of old destination that was not taking them or us in the direction we were meant to go? And as Robin and Jason and Michael and Amanda um, join the church today and we renew our vows with them in this, what if this new Jerusalem, this holy city of God, is establishing, is being established as a reminder that our lives are more than the result of our histories? The difference is, though, we can choose our end. We can choose the thing we point our direction towards. And as we know from reading Daniel and Revelation, even among Christians, there are quite a few different ends. Which one do you point yourself towards? Perhaps visions of the end, like those in Daniel and Revelation, exist to help us. So weathered by our alpha stories to turn towards the creation and telling of our omega stories. So let's really quickly take a look at three truths. We don't know everything. There are so many directions of the end that we're not meant to know, but three truths about the Omega story that we can get from Daniel and Revelation as you continue shopping for your own Omega story that's big enough for your life. Truth number one. I don't know if you noticed in God's in-game stories today, but people do not go up to heaven. Heaven comes down to them. Did you notice that? The earth is not struck by a rogue meteor, 
laid waste by aliens or destroyed by nuclear holocaust or otherwise demolished so that humans have nowhere to go but up like steam escaping a cosmic forest fire. It, that's Hollywood. That is Hollywood, not Daniel and Revelation. So if what you think you know about Daniel and Revelation is only what Hollywood gives you, you don't know much. In Revelation, the same God who created heaven and earth the first time is pleased, very pleased, to create them both anew. The sea is no more. Hurricane Sandy and El Paso and the wreckage, that, has, that all has passed away. The new Jerusalem comes down to rest on the same footprint where the old troubled city once stood. The Omega comes down to rest on the Alpha, joining humans right where they are. See, the home of God is among mortals, it says. He will dwell with them as their God. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. Heaven comes down. In this vision of final destination, the ark of the divine bends down, not up. With a future like that, you can't dismiss the earth now. We don't escape the earth. We don't escape the trappings of this worldly cage. God creates the cage anew. I wonder how that begins to help you wrestle with your Omega story. Truth number two about God's end game. In Daniel and Revelation, the destination is not a garden, but a city. Did you notice that? We are not headed back to the perfect paradise for two, but forward towards a city of all nations. When Adam and Eve cleared out the Garden of Eden, God did not hang a sign on the gate that said, closed for repairs, we'll be back. The sign said, closed for good, while God got busy finding other ways to woo people back to life. The vision of the New Jerusalem is bound to be a disappointment, though, to people who thought they were going to have God all to themselves. Since the city is 1,500 miles square full of people from every corner of the earth, its gates are never shut. Anyone who cannot get along with the neighbors now is going to be miserable in the New Jerusalem unless they let the vision get to work on them now, softening their hearts and opening their minds to embrace all whom God embraces. As a friend of mine is, fond, is, is known to say, it's a shame that God has such poor taste in people. <laughs> the good news is that that means there is hope for people like us. With a future like that, you can't lock the gates. There are no locked gates, and this is not a garden for two. Finally, truth number three of God's endgame from Daniel and Revelation, there is no temple. There was a temple. It was destroyed. Actually, over and over again, it was destroyed. Remember, there used to be a temple. The New Jerusalem does not have a single church in it. By then, the time for beautiful places like this, even broken beautiful places like this, will be over. There will be no further need for any of the mediators of God. 
No sacred buildings, no sacred books, no sacred rituals, no clergy. I'm out of a job, for God will be fully present to God's people who will see God face to face. The temple will be the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb, as Revelation puts it. Just that, just that. No roof, no walls, no altar, but it does say there will be lots of water. Not the hurricane waters, but life-giving waters. In the vision, the river of the water of life flows from the throne on which God sits. The tree of life grows on its banks, producing fruit year-round, and the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations, it says. I know some of you are going to miss church a lot, um, but there you have it. There won't be a place to call church anymore, since every place will be church. If, if what you mean by church is the place where God is sought after. In the New Jerusalem, God won't be hard to find anymore. The whole city will be God's. Wherever you go in it and whomever you are with, you will be wed to God. With a future like that, religion can't be the end all. God's presence is all there is. To choose this destination, this Omega story, is not about securing an advance ticket to heaven. It is about receiving citizenship papers. In a moment, we will answer together and account for together, again, the words of our baptismal vows, our membership vows. That compact summary of the rights and responsibilities of the citizens of the New Jerusalem. Anyone who answers will use a particular tense when they answer, I will, uses the future tense. These questions are omega questions. To accept a certain future, one that has not yet happened, but one with power to shape everything that happens next. To say yes to it won't get you an extra protection from hurricanes or threats to your well-being. It may actually make things harder than easier, with one important ex exception. You will never suffer from a shortage of high purpose in your life. You will never wonder, never wonder why you are here or what you are for. Because from now on, you know that both where you came from and where you are going shape you. <coughs> Your feet are, are pointed in a certain direction toward full communion with God and neighbor, away from evil as we ask you to speak to, towards your neighbor, towards justice and peace among all people, away from anything that might persuade you to, to respect the dignity of some human beings, but not all human beings. And John has this one phrase in Revelation 21, that tells you what God's end game is. And one small phrase, all things new. All things new is the end game of God. All things new is your Omega story. 
once you have decided to go in the direction of all things new, once you've decided that you can be recreated over and over and over again, that your life today is not what your life will be tomorrow, your decisions today are not what your decisions will be tomorrow, any step you take away from, from that is away from your own destiny. It's away from your own story. Because the minute word gets out about your citizenship ceremony here, you gain a whole new crowd of coaches and cheerleaders and Christian call them saints. That's what we are. Who are dedicated to helping you get where you're supposed to go. Not helping you figure out your alpha story, but helping you figure out your omega story. Not just by the end of time, but by the end of every single day, over and over again, your omega story changing, all things new every day. Think of those three things we can take away from Revelation and Daniel. God is in the business of all things new, not destroying the earth, but recreating it. Not bringing back the garden, but setting up a whole new city for all people. Not just forming another church, making the church for all. T.S. Eliot puts it like this, in my end is my beginning, but the one who is seated on the throne says it so much better. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I am your A to Z. I am your source and your destination, both this day and forevermore. Would you pray with me? God, we hate Revelation. <laughs> Uh, we, we, we don't understand why you would speak to us this way. And, and why not be clearer, really? Like, if that's not what it is, why not make that obvious to us? Why is not, God, why isn't there a book in the Bible that just outlines what heaven would be like for real? Why is there a book, why is there not a book in the Bible that just tells us what the meaning of life is? And what we're doing all this for? But today we enter into the un, unpalatable. And we, we can see this city, this city that is perhaps this beautiful vision of the end that will come to be, or maybe this city being built in our hearts. This mixture of our alpha and our omega stories, the stories we know and the stories we don't yet know. Maybe our end is happening right now, this now and not yet pool 
this heaven on earth that we are to embody, this new Jerusalem that we, your saints, are uniquely positioned to set up so that heaven may come on earth. We have this series, We Have Been Asking You for Wisdom. And there's a lot of people who think that they are right on what the end may be. We do not stand before you, God, thinking we have it all together, that we know exactly what the end of all this is. But we stand before you asking for wisdom as we navigate the Alpha and Omega stories of our life so that we may fully understand you as Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end of all things. And that the purpose of all that is for us to see you as our end, not to figure out the end. God, we lift up to you those people in our lives who feel trapped in what they think is the end. People who are are grieving and cannot see past death at this moment, we offer them to you people who are sick and it looks like the end and we offer them to you people who are stuck in addiction and this feels like an ending spiral and we offer them to you and we know that you in being resurrected played the biggest trick on us you thought that was the end but it's not You are making all things new. Make us new today, God. We pray this in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Oh,